Um, that's the book of Jonah or your, or your phone or whatever you use. Um, <clears throat> I was, uh, it's interesting we were singing hymns today because uh, I read a story recently uh, about a, an author, a composer of one of the hymns that we sing often, a man's name, Robert Robertson. And it was something that was interesting because I didn't know this until I read this, uh, this story. Um, but <clears throat> bright Sunday, Sunday morning in 28th century London, but Robert Robinson's mood was anything but sunny. Along the street, there were people hurrying to church, but in the midst of the crowd, Robinson was a lonely man. The sound of church bells reminded him of years past when his faith in God was strong and the church was an integral part of his life. It had been years since he set foot in a church. Years of wandering, disillusionment, and gradual deflect, deflection uh, from, the, from the God he once loved. That love for God, once fiery and passionate, had slowly burned out within him, leaving him dark and cold inside. Robinson heard the clip-clop, clip-clop of a horse-drawn cab approaching behind him. Gas prices were really bad then. Um, uh, turning, he heard his hand, uh, he lifted his hand and hail a driver. But then he saw the cab was occupied by a young woman dressed in a finery for the Lord's Day, and he waved the driver on, but the woman in the carriage ordered the carriage to be stopped. Sir, I'd be happy to share this carriage with you, she said to Robinson. Are you going to church? Robinson was about to decline, but he paused. He said, yes, at last, I'm going to church. And he stepped into the carriage, and he sat down beside the young woman. As the carriage rolled forward, Robert Robinson and the woman exchanged introductions. There was a flash of recognition in her eyes when he stated his name. That's an interesting coincidence, she said, reaching to her purse. She withdrew a small book of inspirational verse and opened it to a ribbon bookmark and handed the book to him. It was, I was just reading a verse by a poet named Robert Robinson. Could it be? I took the book, nodding. Yes, I wrote these words years ago. Oh, how wonderful, she exclaimed. Imagine I'm sharing a carriage with the author of these very lines. But Robinson barely heard her. He was absorbed by the words he was reading. They were words that would one day be set to music and become a great hymn of the faith familiar to generations of Christians. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, calls for songs of loudest praise. His eyes slipped to the bottom of the page where he read, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. He could barely read, barely read the last few lines, the tears that brimmed in his eyes. I wrote these words, and I've lived these words, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. And the woman suddenly understood. You also wrote, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. You can offer your heart to get to God again, Mr. Robinson. It's not too late. And from then on, it wasn't late. Uh, um, wasn't too late for Rob Robinson. He, from that moment, he turned his heart back to God and walked with him closely uh, all the rest of his days. And that story it struck me because it's such a common story. Uh, one, it's interesting that this man wrote that hymn, and it was new then. His new songs are, are good. <laughs> uh, but it's also interesting that people, right, can have a, a relationship and experience with the Lord, and they feel close to him, and they write such an, an amazing statement of God's grace, his mercy, uh, his character. And then drift and not experience any of that. And being in a place of darkness and hopelessness. And it's amazing because it seems like this is a consistent 
description of a life of a Christian. A life of, of constantly needing to remind myself of God's goodness, of his grace, his mercy. Maybe some of you are sitting there, kind of a similar position, haven't been to church in a while. Don't know if God could still love me. I was in a VBS once. I used to sing on the stage. Now I know better. <laughs> and the pain of life comes around. Disillusionment sets in. I'm here to tell you that God, there's nothing you can do that makes you unworthy of his love. God loves you. God's pursuing you. God forgives. God embraces. God cares for his people. If you were with us uh, a couple weeks ago in Jonah, we went through chapter one. We learned a few things, hopefully. If you didn't, I will remind you. Um, we learned that the grace of God in our life doesn't always look desirable. Right? God called Jonah. He gave him a, he spoke to him audibly. He gave him a task. That's grace. He called him to be the only, one of the only missionary prophets in all the Bible. He sent him to Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Jonah said, thanks, God. Appreciate it. Awesome orders. No thank you. Um, and he left. I think I have a picture up here. He went from um, Gath Hefer to Joppa and all the way trying to go to Tarshish which is literally the end of the world at the known time. Like you can't go past Spain. There is nothing else out there. Um, and then God sent a storm. Uh, he shook up the storm. The, Jonah wouldn't listen. He was down in the belly of the ship, uh, sleeping. Uh, God sent some sailors. A captain woke him up. He still wouldn't repent or relent. Uh, God used a game of chance. Uh, to single out Jonah, and then, and finally then, he was like, yep, it's me. I'm the reason. And no matter what, and I don't, I don't know what it was, but he threw himself out. Um, God was pursuing Jonah. He fleed from him. God went after him. Um, and God rescued Jonah uh, when he threw himself upon his mercy. Uh, so this, today we're going to move on to chapter 2. We're going to learn three new things, because that's what's in a proper sermon. You guys know this, right? Three points. No, uh, it's just happenstance. Um, but we're going to go through Jonah chapter, just chapter 2. We're going to look at this passage, because there's a lot of good stuff in here. And hopefully we're going to see the grace of God accepts our repentance, no matter the circumstances. Uh, the grace of God, the way God rescues does not always come in the way that we like it to. Uh, but God's rescue does cause us to respond. And all those things culminate into an understanding that God saves the repentant and the repentant respond in light of their salvation. So that's the sermon if you want to go. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, look with me, Jonah chapter 2. I'm going to read it and then we'll get into it. Uh, this is Jonah chapter 2. We're going to actually start in verse 17 of chapter 1 because that's really where the, the Hebrew makes the break. He said, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. 
For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. And I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains when I laid down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. You brought my life up from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. See, the first thing I want you to notice here in this passage is, is this principle that grace, God saves the repentant. Um, sorry, that's not that. The grace of God accepts our repentance no matter the circumstance. The grace of God accepts our repentance no matter the circumstance. Um, I don't know if many of you have studied Jonah intensely. Um, I know 90% of you just spend your time studying Jonah. That's what you're doing all week, right? Um, but there's a lot of commentators who will, who will look at Jonah and look at Jonah chapter 2. And because at the end of chapter 2, chapter two where it says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and the, it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. They look at all of chapter 2 as this false repentance of Jonah. As if God was just vomiting out Jonah in disgust as his, uh, his religious pleasantries, he's just speaking from this fish. Because you look later in the book and Jonah kind of almost doesn't get it, right? He, he begrudgingly almost goes and, and proclaims to Nineveh. He's sitting on the side of a hill all mad because God's saving people um, and his plant died. And... Um, and well, obviously he didn't repent because if he would have repented, he would have had this major change in his life. And I don't think that's the case, actually. I think what you're seeing in Jonah is a description of a, of a life of a follower of Jesus who's struggling and, and, and wrestling with a fleshly pattern in their life. How, how many of you are perfect? So I'm not, I'm not perfect in case there was a miscommunication. That's not what the Christian life is about. We serve a perfect God. We serve a perfect Savior. That perfect Savior provided a perfect sacrifice to pay for the sins that we perfectly committed to outcast ourselves from God. And he rescues us, not on the basis of our works, how often we attend church, how good we've been, the thoughts that we've had, the things that we've said, how much we've given to charity. None of those things really ultimately matter in, in lieu of our salvation. Now, they matter in our life and following and being in obedience with God and, and having a relationship with the Lord. But God saves us because Jesus did something. And repentance is not making me clean up my life Accepting of the Lord in my, my walk before the... But being a Christian doesn't mean that I clean everything up. Being a Christian means I rest on the finished work of Jesus. And then he begins by his spirit working in me to clean things up. So I'm looking at this passage and I'm noticing a couple things. One, this, this is a psalm. That's why in most of your Bibles you look at it... Um, 
It's kind of in a poetic verse. It's like the Psalms. It's, it's written as poetry. It's written as a prayer. And it's written not as a psalm of lament, not as a royal psalm, not as an imprecatory song. It's written as a psalm of thanksgiving. A psalm of thank you, Lord, I did nothing to deserve this. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing me out of my pit of despair that I was in. Thank you, Lord, for, for grabbing me up off the sea floor and preserving my life. See, I think Jonah was repentant. Now, I think that repentance came maybe at the last moment. But Jonah was repentant. He's even putting himself right alongside of it. You're reading the text. Verse 16 of of chapter 1 says, The men feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice and they made vows. And then Jonah puts himself right next to those same uh, pagan sailors. In verse 9, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There is a, a reshaping of his thinking. And that's what repentance is. Some of you know this, but some of you don't. Repentance is a Greek compound word, metanoia, to change my mind. Meta, what we'd use for metamorphosis, is a complete change. Noia, mind. Uh, It's often described as a turning about of my behavior. Well, that's not really where it starts. Behavior starts with our thoughts. And when I think the wrong things about God, I start doing the wrong things. When I begin to think the right things about God, then it starts showing up in my life. And Jonah was thinking the wrong things about God. That God was mean. Well, actually, he thought the right things. God is compassionate and gracious, and he was going to save some people who didn't deserve saving. So Jonah said, no, I know better. I will do what I want to do. And at some point, Jonah um, changed his mind about that. See, God accepts our repentance no matter the circumstance. Now, look at what happened to Jonah. He was literally at the end of his life. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He's in the Mediterranean Sea, tossed overboard in the middle of a storm. Jewish man uh, doesn't know how to swim, most likely, because uh, historically, people of Israel didn't deal much with the water. They weren't a sailing people, weren't seafaring people. Uh, He probably didn't know how to swim just sank down. And he's sitting there laying on the bottom. I don't know if you guys ever had this, done this before, like been in a lake or in the ocean. You lay down on the ground and you look up and he's sitting there and he's just can't, can't get out. I mean, seaweed over his head. And he's sitting there at the last possible moment. Verse seven, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in the holy temple right? Jonah was at, at the last possible second of repentance. And he said, okay, Lord, you're right. Help me. And the Lord rescued him. 
What this means is that God's not necessarily concerned with the circumstances that precipitate your repentance. We often look at, at people and we judge their repentance based on the circumstances. Right? You got a kid who's, you're told, can't have any Oreos, can't have any cookies. And you come down and they got their hands in the cookie jar and they've already eaten half of them. I'm sorry, Mom. Well, you're not sorry. You're just sorry because you got caught. caught. Right? Well, maybe. Or maybe the kid was actually sorry. Because there's a lot of times in life where it takes us a long time before we finally realize what we are doing and repent. Like the heroin addict who's gone through rehab. After rehab. After rehab. And finally gets picked up by the police. And it's at that point. I can't be doing this anymore. And not, not a single one of us would go like, well, you're just sorry because you got caught. It's like the atheist who's been fighting the Lord their entire life, who's angry at a God that they don't believe in. And none of, not a single one of us here would go, when they come to know the Lord, recognize their need for him, accept salvation, none of us would go, Oh, you're just accepting that because you got caught. Right? We don't, we don't know the circumstances of someone's repentance. We don't know whether or not they're just saying sorry because they got caught or there's a genuine move in their life. Not all of us have the same privilege of growing up in a household whose parents love them, who teach them right from wrong, who the kids know their parents love them when they're till they're about 11 or 12 and then their parents hate them because they won't let them do anything fun. And then later in life they have self-control. They make good decisions. And then they start looking down on someone who had no parents. Or they had parents but their parents just didn't care. Didn't involve themselves in their life. Just here's here's the remote. I got to go do my thing and you just watch TV and and you know, make your own decisions. They start making bad decisions, get into a mess in their self, right? There's all sorts of different circumstances we can find ourselves under. And there's all ways that the Lord is working and, and wooing people to himself. And it doesn't really matter what the circumstance of, I now know that I need to change my mind about what's going on. God's not concerned about it. He's simply concerned with the repentance. He's concerned with someone changing their mind. And when they do, he rescues. He steps in. Even if you gave your life to the Lord when you were five years old, and you haven't said a word to him since, and now you're 35, grew up in church, don't know if I can come back to church, don't know if I'll be accepted. God accepts you. God will accept you. Third reason I think that this is a genuine 
repentance is that the Lord used Jonah's story to speak about what Jesus did for us on the cross and in his death. Jesus is in a conversation with some, some Pharisees, and I'm not going to turn here. Um, but they're like, look, look at this. You go, you go search the scriptures. See that no, no good prophet came out of Galilee. Jonah was Gath Heifer. That's three miles from Nazareth. Jesus was in the grave for three nights. Three, three days. Jonah was in the whale for three days and three nights. God, God worked a miraculous thing in a man who repented and then made a mistake at the end after again. Right? See, the grace of God accepts our repentance. It doesn't matter the circumstances. It's, it's, it's just a changing of our mind. It's the dependence. I mean, over and over and over and over and over and over again in the Psalms, you hear, you hear this phrase, I read it this morning. Out of my distress, I called the Lord and he answered me. Out of my distress, I called the Lord and he heard my cry. Same thing that Jonah's quoting here. It's our distress that becomes a place that is, becomes actually a good thing for us. Because it showcases our need of dependence on the Lord. God accepts our repentance, no matter the circumstances. Second, the grace of God rescues the way, the way God rescues us does not always come in the way we would like. The way God rescues us does not always come in the way we would like. For one, God rescued Jonah at the last possible moment. Now, I don't know if any of you have experienced something like this. Um, it may not even be from sin. Like God just sometimes waits for the last possible moment to answer a prayer or a need. Um, when I was in college, I went to school in Israel for seven months, and I, can't, I had set up my living situation to come back beforehand, you know, living with someone, cheap rent, because I had no money. And uh, I came back, and then like two weeks before school started, got a call, said, hey, sorry, that's not going to work anymore. Um, you can't stay there. So I'm sitting in Georgia going, uh, I'm not sure where I'm going to live, but I have to go up and report for class. Uh, so I packed my car up, drove up, and uh, stayed with a friend for a couple days, just trying to figure out where, where am I going to live, because I can't afford uh, pennies for rent. And all of a sudden, a friend says, hey, uh, my parents um, want to talk to you. And I was like, oh, sure. Uh, and he's like, they're like, hey, we got a room that's available, and you can stay there if you want. And I'm like, Awesome. Uh, yeah, I would like to do that. I mean, it, what's, what's the rent? What, how much does it cost? And they're like, oh, it's free. I said, well, I will do that. Thank you. Um, and not only did they let me come in their house, they brought me in as a son. Uh, the, the wife made me lunches, uh, did my laundry. I mean, that's awesome. Uh, I, they, enjoy, they, they invited me on family gatherings and meals. Uh, I mean, even to this day, I still get birthday cards from them. And the Lord came through in the last possible moment. Um, it wasn't exactly what I would have wanted to happen, but it actually turned out even better than I thought. And God can do the same thing for you. Second, 
God's ways are just sometimes odd. God used a fish to save Jonah's life. Uh, any fishermen out there? No? No one, no one fishes in this place? I know one guy does. Um, I like to fish. It's, it's fun. Um, I don't like handling the insides of the fish. That's, that's not the most fun thing to do. Um, but I love fishing. It's, 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 a, it's a fun time out in nature, uh, catching fish. I like eating fish, but apparently you can't eat the Delaware fish because they're all glowing or something. Uh, DuPont ruined that for everyone. Um, but I've caught lots of fish. I've handled lots of fish. I've filleted fish. And there are some things in their stomach that I would, I don't think I ever want to touch. And it says that the Lord appointed a fish and he, Jonah spent three days in his belly, which is quite different than what we're taught in Sunday school, right? I mean, what we're taught in the pictures we have of Jonah, as, I don't even know if we have these down in our children's wing. It's like he's sitting there inside this fish. There's a half broken table and a chair. Um, he's got a candle on. He's sitting there playing cards, right? <laughs> Just hanging out. It's all good. That didn't happen. Not biblical. Uh, he's, he's in the dark, right? He's inside the, it says the stomach of the fish. Now, I don't know if this is a whale or whatever. He's in the Mediterranean Sea. I'm not, I'm not sure of migration patterns. Who knows? But the Bible, the text says he was in the belly of the fish. Now, some of you skeptics might be out there saying, no, no fish swallows a man. Actually, this time last year, a man in Maine, off the coast of Maine, do you guys know this? Now his name Michael. He got swallowed by a humpback whale um, for 30 seconds, not three days, um, and was spit out. But it happens. And Jonah's inside this stomach in the dark, surrounded by who knows what. Um, and inside fish's stomach, they're kind of similar to our stomachs. I don't know if you know this. They have bile. They, they have this acid in there that breaks down their food. And he's sitting in it. Most likely, Jonah was scarred for life. Three days in bile. Most likely, there are scars on his body reminding him of God's rescue and salvation. Wasn't, wasn't a pleasant experience, I don't think. Other than I, now I can breathe. I'm not sure how that works. Uh, I'll have to ask the Lord when I get there. And God rescued him. But that rescue did leave lasting marks on him. I mean, God's rescue doesn't always come in the way. I mean, even we think about, like, let's think about Palm Sunday. We think about Jesus' triumphal entry. Everyone's expecting the Lord to rescue them from the bondage of the oppression of Rome. And Jesus rides down on a, on a donkey colt purposing to die and our rescue doesn't come through military might but actually through something even greater the victory over sin and death I don't know what it is for you sometimes rescue comes with from sin that we're in and things that we do come from lasting they, they bring lasting remark, marks in our body and that's okay because the Lord will use it. Like we'll find out next week how the Lord used this in Jonah's life. 
God, in every circumstance, uses crisis as points in our lives to bring him to to himself, bring us to himself. Even as a child, right, most children accept the Lord out of a fear of hell, right? Um, most people accept the Lord out of, a, out of a crisis point. Can't do this anymore. And those become good things for us. Because whatever brings us to the Lord is ultimately a good thing for us. Even though it's the worst circumstance in the world, life could be falling down around me and it could all be my fault. I got a physical deformity from, for the, the massive partying I've been doing my entire life. But I know the Lord now. And death has no hold on me. So it's better. It could be something as simple. As my parents caught me with a little pot. But that sparked a change in my life. Where I repented. I know the Lord and I'm walking with him. And I'm not like, I could be someone who's sitting on the corner of Allegheny and Kensington. God takes pressure points and pain and bad circumstances and he rescues us. And even if that rescue comes in the way that we don't want it to be, even if it comes with marks and, 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 and something that's staying with us the rest of our life, if we've come to Jesus, if we are with him, it's all good. So, grace of God um, accepts our repentance no matter the circumstance. It rescues us. His rescue doesn't always come in the way we would like. And finally, when God rescues you, it causes you to respond. When you finally experience God's rescue, you will respond. Jonah responded, like I mentioned before, with a psalm of thanksgiving. He went through, and I don't know if you you know this, but this passage is, is dripping with quotations from the psalms. At least 18 different places from 16 different psalms, this entire passage is, cre- is created. Jonah sits down with, with the wealth of knowledge that he's had from studying since a little child the, wor- the word of the Lord and puts together a new psalm out of the old psalms in praise to the Lord. I'm going to put this up here and you guys can either write it down or you can ask me later. But verse, verse 2, Psalm 3, 4, 18, 4 through 6, 118, 5, verse 3, 42, 69, 88, 120. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. And he's in the side of a belly of a fish with some plankton or I don't know what else, what else, what else around him. Praise the Lord. He rescued me. He took me out of my low estate, out of my death, and he brought me to life. When God rescues you, it should invoke this just praise. Jesus, thank you. 
He responded not only with thanksgiving, but with sacrifice. Vow I, will, I vowed you I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. One writer once said, it's hard to miss this point. Jonah, despite his earlier protestations, came to God not as a Jew who deserves special privileges or concessions, but as a sinful human being who was one with all the other sinful human beings who needed God's grace. It is thus with us all. If you come to God claiming privileges, boasting of your own special achievements, and therefore expecting God to accept you or acknowledge you on the basis of your own merit, you have no hope of salvation. The scripture explicitly says that God will pay no court to human merit, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. On the other hand, if you come to God admitting you deserve nothing from him but just wrath and condemnation, if you place your faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who willingly became your sacrifice, and if you promise to serve him and be his faithful disciple to your life's end, then he saves you and brings you into a deep experience of the grace of God. And that experience will respond, or will, will result in response. Even if it's initial salvation, or it's just the Lord coming through in a moment of crisis. Or it's even just as simple of, Lord, I don't feel you right now. I feel distant. Would you please come? Walking in a church, not feeling like I want to be in church, would you please speak to me? And then he does. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Again, you've renewed me. So, if all this is true, what do we do? We just need to throw ourselves on his mercy. Praise him for his grace. Trust him. Because Jonah's not about Jonah. Jonah is about God. And I mentioned this last week, and I'll mention it again. Jonah is about a description, a narrative that describes this. That God is compassionate and gracious, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. At all times. He's good. He loves you. If you haven't accepted him, accept him. If you know him and walk with him, praise him. If you've been walking with him a while and you're not there anymore, turn to him. Call to him in your distress. Don't worry about social implications. Don't worry about what people will think. Don't worry about if you haven't done enough to please him. He's done it all to please him. Rest in him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your life. I thank you for Jonah. I thank you for the man who ran from you, who hid from you, who you kept on going after. I thank you for the man who refused to call on you until the last moment, showing, Lord, that if we're still breathing, there's still time. So, Lord, would you impress your word into your people? And to me, would you continue to remind us of your grace? We trust you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would you stand as we sing in, in response?